We're going to look at uh, Colossians, the second chapter here, for just a second. Colossians 2, 6, and 7. It's at the top of your outline there. We're going to, we're going to look at it on the screen here in just a second, too. We're going to be using this passage in Colossians, the second chapter, throughout this series called Are You Growing? Because we want to use that passage in Colossians there as a reminder to us that we are called to continually be growing, to continually become the people God created us to be. But I also bring up this passage because I want to encourage you to do something that some of you may not have been doing for quite a while since you were in Sunday school getting gold stars in your Bible. We're going to try to memorize Colossians 2. I'd like to encourage you to do that along with us uh, as we go through this series. And so at the beginning of every sermon throughout this series, we're going to do what we're going to do in just a second here. We're going to read Colossians 2 together out loud. If you, if you memorize or read something other than this version, that's fine. Memorize your own version. There's a lot of similarity between uh, the version we'll be reading from in just a second here and, and yours as well. So, so if you haven't yet opened to Colossians 2, go ahead and do that or, or, or keep it handy there in the outline. Let's go ahead and read this together from Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Let's do it one more time, just for good old memory's sake. You know, reciting it takes practice. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. All right. Well, you can at least read well. (laughs) Last week, we introduced this series called Are You Growing? by looking at those verses. And we talked about how growth in godliness is the kind of part of the, the, the process in our life that transforms our faith from a claim to a cause. It's the part of our life, that sanctification and growing process, is where you and I, as believers, make a claim about Christ that becomes manifest in our lives, so our lives become a cause. We talked about three things there, how growth is a joint venture between us and God. We talked about how growth is not optional, but it's normative for the believer. And growth also is pursued with and for the sake of others. It's never just about us. So that's what this series is about. It's about pursuing growth in Christ that transforms our Christian faith from a claim to a cause. So this week, we're going to ask this question. Are you thirsty for God? Throughout these 11 weeks in this series, we'll be asking questions to help us sort of diagnose our spiritual health. And today, it's are you thirsty for God? This isn't just... (laughs) Are you thirsty? (laughs) The answer to to that for some of you uh, may be yes. Uh, I'm thirsty. In fact, can I get a cup holder on the pew, please? Um, We're all thirsty for something in life. The question, friends, is for what are we thirsty? And so for the follower of Christ, who is assessing one's own spiritual health, It's a question about being thirsty for the things of God, for relationship 
with him and for the good things of God that come from his character and his nature, kindness, goodness, compassion, mercy, love, all of those good things that come forth from nature and the character of God. And so today the big idea is this, and this is the first two blanks in your outline there. The big idea is that satisfaction in life only comes from a passionate pursuit of godliness above all else. Our satisfaction in life only can come from a passionate pursuit of godliness above all else. If you ever get lost in the outline, on the back, on the bottom are the answers if you'd like to cheat and look, look forward. <laughs> if you haven't yet noticed that, somebody, somebody this week said, oh, the answers are on the back. Uh, I'll give you a little temptation there. <clears throat> Friends, a deep-rooted satisfaction in our lives, a meaningful fulfillment of our deepest human desires will only happen when our deepest desires are met by the goodness of God. And it will only happen, that satisfaction and fulfillment will only happen as our lives increasingly match God's character and nature. We take this principle from Matthew 5, 6, that we're going to look at especially today. This is the the passage from which we take this principle of satisfaction in life. This verse comes from what we call the Beatitudes. It's from the Sermon on the Mount. And Jesus is preaching to the people, and he's stating lots of things. And one of those things is this. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Let's pray together before we dive in. Friends, we're gathered here before you, Lord, to worship you and to name the ways in which you've created us for a relationship with you. And yet, Father, we fall short of that in so many ways. And so we're gathered today, Lord, to name the ways in which You are Lord of our lives. So that when we leave this place, we will learn ever so slightly even a little more how to be satisfied in you and not in the temptations of this life and the temporary things and the earthly and worldly things that distract us. But, Father, that we would be hungry for relationship with you so that our deepest desires would be fulfilled by knowing you more. Father, that's our prayer today. And we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So, you ever been really, really, really thirsty? Have you ever been so downright dry-as-a-bone thirsty and parched and sort of baked that you would drink anything. You know, you're just dying for a glass of water. Or in my, sake, in my case, a mug of piping hot Sumatra coffee. Um, anybody remember the movie from the uh, mid-80s called The Three Amigos? Three? Oh, you sad people. <laughs> uh, Steve Martin and Chevy Chase and, and Martin Short were in this movie called The Three Amigos. A, a ridiculous comedy. Um, so we're going to look at this in just a second. 
because it exemplifies well the kind of thirst we're talking about. Imagine yourself riding in the hot Mexican sun for hours. You're wearing a black suit. The air is dry. The ground is cracked. And you are just absolutely getting baked. And, and your clothes are, are dripping with your own sweat. <laughs> Anybody grossed out? <laughs> this is what is going on here in the Three Amigos. Friends, people in life, almost more than anything else, are thirsty for something that satisfies. They're hungry for something that fills them. And of course, we're only speaking metaphorically about water. This is really about our satisfaction in life. Not just whether or not we get enough to drink. It's about finding our fulfillment as a human in a relationship with Christ that satisfies beyond all other things that we are so easily passionate about. The tragedy, the sad part of this, is how many people find their satisfaction in things that don't last, things that will not matter, things that the worms will get into after we die and make into nothing. And friends, the also tragic part is how many of us in the, in the believing congregations and churches in America, how many of us miss out on the enjoyment of life that God has for us because we do not grow to become people who become satisfied in God alone? This is a problem in the world. It's in the problem in the church. It's a problem the entire world struggles with. In People magazine in 1977, there was a celebrity who said it this way. I sit in my house in Buffalo, New York, and sometimes I get so lonely, it's unbelievable. He says, life has been so good to me. I have a great wife, good kids, more money than I know what to do with. I have good health. And yet I'm lonely and I'm bored. 
He says, I've often wondered why so many rich people commit suicide because money sure isn't a cure-all. In 1977, this man was on top of the world, probably the best football player in the world, loads of money, tons of fame, a beautiful family, but O.J. Simpson was thirsty. He was hungry. And he let his wrong-headed pursuits lead him to a mouthful of sand. You don't have to follow golf to know that Tiger Woods is thirsty. The man is hungry. The man is hungry for something he cannot yet find. He has success, fame, popularity, an income north of $100 million, and that is not enough. It did not satisfy him. It did not fill him up. And for him, it was all a mouthful of sand. And we know this. Because Tiger Woods turned to series of sexual relationships to fill him. And when one did not, he went to another and another. And he ended up washing down one glass of sand with another glass of sand as he looks for something to fill him. We could go on and on with examples of people we all know who, according to the world standards, had it all. But the problem is that it's also our problem, too. The problem is that we live in this world of unrestrained and wrong-headed appetites that produces people who are satisfied by junk that slowly pulls them away from God. That world, that context, that place that is outside of a relationship with God knows nothing of a passionate pursuit of godliness. Its desires are allowed to run amok and out of control in the world. And friends, we struggle to not be that same exact way. That's where the rubber meets the road for us. Turn to Romans, the first chapter here. This describes how the world struggles with this. And how, how its pursuits and desires, its appetites are out of control, unrestrained, in the wrong direction. Romans, the first chapter, verses 21 through 26. It says this. For although they knew God, that is the world, they did not honor him as God, nor give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies, among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Verse 26, for this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. In the rest of this chapter, it goes on to describe what those passions look like. It goes on to describe what dishonorable passions look like when that is supreme in their lives. Friends, a world of unrestrained and wrong-headed appetites will produce, even in us, satisfaction with junk that will pull us away from a relationship with God. You see, 
We were made for relationship with God. This desire for heaven, our true home, and the good things that come only from God's nature and his character, this longing for satisfaction, this this longing to be fulfilled, comes because we were made by God. Genesis 1.26 says that we were made in God's image. That means that we were created in his likeness. It means that there's a place in us that longs to love and to worship the creator who made us. But we mess up this relationship. And it's not just those who are outside of the church who mess this up. We are in danger of messing up the call to become who God made us to be. When we worship and we serve the created things rather than the creator. This is also, friends, about us. This is not just about OJ and about Tiger and all the countless people we can name out there because, gee, isn't it good that we aren't like them? This is about our relationship with God and the passionate pursuits that we are going to practice in our lives. It's a very real struggle for us as followers of Christ. And we're going, to, we're going to linger here on this issue for just a moment because this is hard for us. In our modern world, our consumer culture tries to awaken in our hearts and in our minds a desire for things that do not last. A desire for things that are not meaningful and will not satisfy. Dennis the Menace had a comic strip who, uh, that, that showed him looking through this, this big catalog. I remember this as a kid. I used to look at the Sears gift book around Christmas time every year. Look at this catalog. Dennis the Menace said, this catalog's got a lot of toys I didn't even know I wanted. <laughs> We're in danger of being like Dennis the Menace, friends. If you've ever taken on a, product of, a, a project of any size in your own house, you know what it's like to be caught in the grip of commercial and consumer culture. Because you don't own the house. The house owns you. You quickly discover, if you take on any kind of home project, that there is this, this endless, amazing world out there called the home improvement industry. And once you take on a project like that, It's like stumbling through the back of the wardrobe and going into Narnia and into this undiscovered world of people who are waiting and ready to make you feel deeply and passionately for things you'd never even given a moment's thought to before. At every turn, there is another choice to make. Faucets and floors, tubs and tile, paint color and trim and windows and decking and ad infinitum. If you're not careful, and it's not just construction, it's anything. If you're not careful, you learn to become a shopper who was what we often call someone with discriminating tastes. What that easily means is that your appetite is getting bigger and bigger for things that in the grand scheme of God's economy really don't matter that much. And things that are not designed to bring you and I lasting fulfillment. Being a person of discriminating tastes can easily mean that you are good 
at rationalizing your practice of spending money on things you don't actually need. Think about this one. Do we really need a different style of shoe for every single social context within which we find ourselves? Some of you are going, absolutely we do. (laughs) But seriously, you don't have to be Imelda Marcos to have a problem like this. Imelda Marcos, if you'll recall, had thousands and thousands of pairs of shoes she never, ever wore. Here are some questions for you as a self-diagnosis test to determine whether you are becoming a shopper with unrestrained appetites. Ask yourself these questions. Do I desire things I neither need nor enjoy? It's hard for any of us to say, oh, no, no, I don't desire anything I don't need. Do I buy things I do not want or do not need to impress people? Do I feel ashamed for driving a car until it wears out? A little bit. (laughs) Do I feel that to be out of step with fashion is to be out of step with reality? Let me say it very plainly. The average American Christian has some repenting to do for buying into a world where we upend the way God made things. We worship and we serve the created things instead of the creator. In any given day, many of us are exponentially more worried about things like keeping our houses and cars and noses clean than we are keeping our hearts clean. Than we are with our concern for being loving and caring and compassionate, and kind, and speaking good words, and modeling those things that come from the nature and the character of God. Friends, if we are honest, most of us are exponentially more worried about things of this world that will not last. The solution is thirsting for God. Oh, that's easy. Let's just thirst for God. Well, it's a process. And it takes time. But for us, thirsting for God requires awareness of our emptiness and feeding our appetites for a righteousness that fills. We're going to look into a solution here in two parts. And please note something about uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter here. The fifth chapter, verse 6, again, in the Beatitudes, where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. There's something interesting about the verbiage, the way way Jesus says it here. Verse 6, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. It almost seems like Jesus has put the emphasis in the wrong place. Shouldn't he have said, Blessed are those who are righteous. Shouldn't he have been telling these people, blessing is the result of being right with God? But no. Graciously, it says, 
Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is saying, blessed are those who feel their need for righteousness so palpably, so tangibly, that it could be described as a craving, as a hunger. Blessed are those who are painfully aware of their own need for a right relationship with God. You see the difference? Psalm 42 describes this well. I love the way it says it here. Psalm 42. We're going to look at just a couple, the first couple uh, verses here. Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? I like this part in verse 3. Leave that up there. My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? People may accuse you. Who is this God who fills you? Where is he in your life? I don't see all that blessing. Friends, you and I will not be blessed by those earthly things that the world measures success by. You and I will be measured by the extent to which our hearts and our lives and our words and our interactions with one another demonstrate godliness. Nobody's going to give a hoot what kind of car you drive. Nobody's going to give a hoot how your house looks. What they're going to give a hoot about if they care about what God cares about, is the person you and I are becoming. If you get a chance, read Psalm 63 later. It's a beautiful poem about this kind of emptiness that is being filled by God. So the first step is being aware of one's emptiness, one's, one's need and hunger for God. We all understand that we have not met his, his uh, perfection and his standards. And so understanding that need and that awareness of our emptiness. There's something I'm going to read here uh, by John Piper. It's on your, uh, on your sheets there. It's in, in his uh, book called Hungry for God. It's another good way to, to diagnose oneself, uh, whether or not we are too much in the world and passionate about those kinds of pursuits rather than godliness. He says this, if you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and are satisfied. In other words, it's not because you've drunk deeply of God and are satisfied. He says it's because you have nibbled so long at the table of the world. Your soul is stuffed with small things, and there is no room for the great. God did not create you for this. There is an appetite for God, and it can be awakened. So how do we feed that appetite for righteousness that fills us? Uh, Briefly, I think it takes two forms. It comes by avoiding junk and by practicing godly pursuits. Avoiding the junk that takes us away from a relationship with God and pursuing the good things that come from his character and nature. Starving your appetite for temporary things and feeding your appetite for godliness. Now, you can't solve that quickly and easily. This being filled with an appetite for righteousness thing isn't something you just manufacture and start instantly doing by sheer effort and willpower. You don't just say to yourself, 
You know, as soon as I walk out the doors, I'm going to crave righteousness. If you are being asked to crave, to painfully feel the need for a right relationship with God, how are you going to apply that to your life? How are you going to get that command checked off your to-do list? Let me see here. Brush teeth, check. Comb hair, check. Take the dog out, check. Crave righteousness, check. Painfully feel the need for righteousness in my life, check. Feeding an appetite for righteousness is not something we just manufacture and will ourselves to do instantly. It's not an add water kind of proposition. It's not like simply starting to come to church more consistently is going to fix it. It's not as easy as starting to give more of your income or reading the Bible more or memorizing Colossians 2 or praying for righteousness. It's not like all those things will instantly fix the problem quickly or easily, comma, but those exact disciplines, when practiced diligently in our lives, are exactly the kind of right-headed desires and pursuits that will fill us. Those kinds of pursuits of regular worship, of regular fellowship with other believers, of getting the word into our hearts and minds, of speaking with God about wanting to crave his righteousness even when I don't, of caring for one another, of service. Those kinds of disciplines, when practiced diligently in our lives over time, are exactly the opposite of the world sucking out our righteous desires. They feed our appetite for good things. Let me just suggest a few practical ways that you might feed your appetite for righteousness. I named a few there, prayer and the word, fellowship with other believers, giving and tithing. Let's just take prayer for a, sec- for a second there. Do you pray, Lord, produce in me a spirit of godliness more than you pray for easier living conditions? The types of things for which we pray may make a difference. Take giving and tithing for just a moment. If you, if you really want to know what you value, where does your money go? For many believers, probably many of us in these pews, we are so in love with our stuff that we come to the community of faith and we end up just sort of tipping God with our money instead of using it as he intended. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, we have three TVs, more cars than we know what to do with, more items of clothing than we could possibly wear. And we live in a world where 15,000 kids per day die, and they can be fed for 21 cents. There is something egregiously wrong with that picture when American Christians and believers give 2.3% of their income on average to the kingdom. You want to know what you value? 
Where does your money go? Start making your faith a cause instead of a claim. If you want to enjoy life as it's meant to be lived, if you want excitement and enjoyment in your life, practice godliness. Instead of, for example, with money, hoarding our things like a trust fund to keep our earthly desires and securities intact. Someday I'll give more when I... When I pay off this bill, I will... If you want to grow, there is almost no better place to start than that. Get into service. If you want to become the person God made you to be, get into ministry. If you want to be in a place where God can produce an appetite for his goodness and his righteousness, then get into ministry. There's a famous preacher who said this. When somebody comes up to me and they say, I've been listening to you, I've been reading my Bible, I've been coming to church and praying, and I'm singing those songs, but I'm going to go somewhere else because I'm just not being fed anymore. This preacher says this, that's because you're just studying the recipe. This is not all there is to the Christian life. It's a good start. But if you stay here, you're just studying the recipe. You can know everything in this book like the Pharisees and not be involved in growth that makes you into the person God created you to be. Friends, the good news of the cross is that even when our passions have been for meaningless junk because we've fallen in love with the world and we've worshipped the created things rather than the creator, the Lord in his love and his mercy looks down on us even then. And he says this in Isaiah 55, Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come and buy and eat Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? I think of Jesus on the cross saying these very words to me. Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and your soul will delight in the richest affair. Friends, we want to create a place where what we do here is we come and we worship because we know that the richest affair is available to us because of who we are as a community and what we do here as people of faith. And so we invite you, like Christ on the cross, like those words of the prophet Isaiah, to come and to be satisfied.